Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and my returning guest today is a prenatal yogi, doula, student midwife, and now, spoiler alert, mom, Catalina Clark. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me back. (laughs) You have a guest with you. Georgia says hi, too. (laughs) Hi, Georgia. Um, Yeah, so we're sitting with sweet baby Georgia, and I've also seen some of your really beautiful posts. This is my first time meeting her. In person, I know I can't believe it took so long. And um, but the, I've been following you on social media, and the posts look beautiful. And um, I'm excited to find out more about how your birth and labor and postpartum and motherhood experiences have been after having helped so many other people through the process. So, um, last time we left you, you were pretty pregnant. How was the rest of the last couple of weeks of your pregnancy? It was great. I went all the way to 40 weeks. I thought I would go longer, to be honest, just because most first-time moms do. But I went into labor at 40 weeks and three days. Like on the day? How much? Oh, 40 and three? Okay. So you were late? No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't consider it late. (laughs) Some may consider it late. People like after midnight on the day 40, they feel late. No, it was right on time. Yeah. And um, how did how did it start for you? And so you weren't going stir crazy because uh, you thought it was going to be later than that. Yeah, I was expecting it. I went to my last prenatal appointment on a Monday. With the midwives? With my midwife, Alex. And we actually went to the beach afterwards and we went swimming in Santa Monica. In the, in the ocean? Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. And there were all these dolphins swimming in the waves right in the shore break, right on Ocean Park. And we were like, it's a sign. The dolphins have come to give me a blessing way. Oh, wow. And the- their little ultrasounds that they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we were really excited. And I went home that night. When you're 40 weeks and three days pregnant um, mm-hmm. at the beach, do you get attention? Do you draw? I don't think I noticed it. I would think I was just in my own little bubble. Mm. But it was also like 5 p.m., so wow. it wasn't a super busy time, but it was one of those really warm summer nights at the beach where you feel like you could stay there all night. Mm, sounds green. The water sound ama- felt amazing, especially at 40 weeks. 
Just soothing on, on your body? Super. Mm. So I went home that night not thinking anything of it, not expecting to go into labor anytime soon. And I just started to have really mild cramps, what I felt like was the very, very, very early stages. Mm -hmm. Like this could go on for another week or two like this. Or labor could start in the next day or two. I wasn't really quite sure. But it was a ramp up from what you had been feeling earlier. The next day, I had a day planned with my mom to go have a spa day in Santa Monica, and she was going to take me to get a massage and go to the pool, and I didn't want to miss that. So even though I was having these mild cramps that I knew could be labor or could go on, I decided to go with it. So I made it to the pool for about one hour and lunch, and then I said, I think I better go home and rest because I think tonight could be the night. Mm -hmm. So my mom was there with me during my early labor, which was not planned at all but it was actually really sweet the way she cooked for me and made teas and labor aids and helped me prepare while my husband was at work that's so nice yeah it was really sweet thank you universe i think she was also glad to be a part of the experience i'm sure until we had to kick her out of the house. Yeah, how'd that go down? <laughs> <laughs> well, she didn't want to leave. She wanted to get a hotel room nearby. She was very excited. But once my husband got home from work, he was like, it's time to go. And <laughs> he told her I wasn't going to go into active labor until she left and, you know, reminded her about our boundaries that we'd set mm-hmm. prenatally and that we'd let her know when the baby was here mm-hmm. or if I was actually even in, in labor. labor or not. Yeah. I was still in denial at that point. Had things picked up more? No, they were kind of the same. And I was also, you know, as a midwife, we often say, or even as a doula, you know, if there's no, if there's nothing coming out of your vagina yet, then you're probably not near active labor. So if there's not some mucus or blood or fluid, probably nothing's really happening quite yet. It's still early. So I was waiting for that all day Mm -hmm. and even all night. So it didn't ramp up until about midnight, but I still wasn't having any other signs other than cramps. Okay. So, but did you go to bed before midnight? No, we stayed awake. It wasn't, I wasn't able to sleep. So we set up the house knowing that it was going to happen sooner rather than later. So we wanted to get the tub set up and the supplies and move the bed around and get the space ready. Mm -hmm. So once we did all of that, then things started to ramp up. Ramp up in what way? The contractions didn't get closer together, but they started to get more intense. Okay, more pressure? More pressure, more... The only word I know how to describe it is intensity. I wouldn't even describe it as pain necessarily. Mm -hmm. Just intensity, like full body. It it became a full body experience rather than just a localized, like, I'm having a cramp. Okay. Were they uncomfortable? Definitely became uncomfortable. Yeah, it wasn't a, a bu- I wasn't able to just go about my day like I had been or go about my evening. I had to stop and when, focus on them. When they would happen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, do you remember how far apart they were? Ooh, hi, baby. I remember the moment when I kind of informed my the rest of my birth team that something was happening, my mm-hmm. doula and the birth photographer And I remember saying, I understand why clients call doulas when their contractions are still nine minutes apart because they were nine minutes apart and and I was starting to work really hard and starting to struggle. And I was like, wow, we have a 
a long ways to go. Um, but that was sort of the point when I realized it was time. Hmm. Did they come over? No, I just let them know around 9 p.m. that they were starting to get closer together so that they could get some rest and wait for me to call them. Yeah. I was assuming I would be calling them maybe the next morning because I knew I wasn't in active labor yet. But things were picking up. Yes. Okay. So what happened at midnight? Then at midnight, there was a big shift. So between 9 and midnight, my husband and I, we cuddled and we kissed and we turned the lights off and we put the candles on and we did all of the like early labor things that you want to do. And it was really sweet. But then around midnight, I started to really, there was a shift, a shift in my labor where I was no longer really conscious of what was going on other than what I was experiencing in my body. So so would you, I mean, it sounds a little bit like your frontal cortex was shutting off. Yes. So all I could say was like, I need to get in the tub. I need to get in the tub. But also I had this midwife side of my brain that still was very present and knew logically what was going on. And I knew that it was too soon to get in the tub based on our typical recommendations for a first time mom. Just as a side point, why, what does that mean too soon? It can slow down your labor. It can actually relax your body so much, kind of like an epidural. That's why they call it like an aquadural. Like aquadural. you wouldn't want to get into the water when you're two centimeters, just like you wouldn't want to get an epidural when you're two centimeters. Just not to slow things, not to lose your momentum. Exactly. I see. Exactly. So, so the midwife part of your brain, I guess so ingrained from just seeing it and doing it over and over again. Exactly. Is saying don't get in the tub, but your body's sort of like... The tub sounds nice right now. Yes. So my husband panics, basically, and frantically tries to, <laughs> to set up the tub, even though he had no idea what he was doing. And usually the midwives set it up when they get there because there's plenty of time for a first-time mom. But he's trying to help me, basically. And so I tell him to call Alex, call Alex. He calls a couple times. She happens to just not pick up the phone. So that makes him to... Panic more. <laughs> Panic even more. Um, eventually, we get a hold of her, and I tell her to come over, and I want her to check me and tell me that either that this is happening tonight or that I have a, a long ways to go, and this is prodromal early labor because I'm really unsure. So she does. She checks me, and she says, no, this is happening. You do have long ways. You have quite a ways to go, but your body's opening. Everything feels soft. The baby still has a, a ways to come down. And she just kind of, without telling me how dilated I was, she gives me like an idea of the landscape of what we're looking at and how my my body is doing. Does that satisfy your thirst for knowledge? Yeah, it did. And she reassured me that she also felt the need to get in the tub pretty early on in her labor and that it really helped her. And she encouraged me to get in the tub if oh, that's okay. what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I did. And... Ben, my husband, was very tired because he had worked until like 3 a.m. the night before that and mm. had worked a full day that day. So he was exhausted. And we weren't sure if we were going to bring our doula on or not. She kind of was like on standby mm. because we wanted to do it on our own, but we were open to the idea of having her there as well if we needed her. Okay. So eventually Alex looked at me and was like, Doula time. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we call her so that Ben can take a nap and rest and we can work together. That makes sense. And I'm really glad we did call her. 
So she came over around three or four in the morning so that Ben could take a nap and that she could be with me. And I labored in and out of the tub all of that time. Did the tub feel like you wanted it to? I did. I really was able to relax in the tub. I wouldn't say it took away the pain, but definitely in between contractions, it's really helpful to float and relax and just release your body into the water. Reset before the next one. Exactly. Yeah, so that felt great. It felt great to move around in the water too. It felt easier on my body than trying to move around in a bed or standing Mm -hmm. or leaning. On land? Yeah, better than on land. Absolutely. So by that point in the morning, around 4 to 5 a.m., I really wanted Alex to check me again. I was getting tired, and I needed to know that there was progress. I didn't want to know how dilated I was still. So she checked me, and she said, you're, be- you're opening beautifully, and your baby's come down much lower, and there's a lot of progress. You're doing great. So I kept just continuing to do what I was doing. And then about an hour or two later, around maybe 6 or 7 a.m., I started to feel the shift and feel more pressure. Not like I was ready to push, but just a lot of pressure and a lot more intensity. So that's when I checked myself. I see. And at that point, all I felt was what we call a lip of cervix, which pretty much means you're like nine to nine and a half centimeters where you can only feel a small rim of cervix in the front and the rest is all the baby's head, Uh. nice and low. So I felt that and I looked at my midwife and I was like, is that what you felt? Is that what you felt? And she was just like, yeah, sure. (laughs) She just trusted that I knew what I was feeling. And so that was extremely encouraging. My water still hadn't why at that point broke. did you choose to check yourself versus have Alex check you? Or you? I think she recommended it. She was oh, okay. like, why don't you try and check yourself and see what you feel? Because I was in the tub, and it's quite easy to check yourself, especially when you're squatting in the tub. Mm-hmm. And I think she knew the baby was low enough that I would be able to feel her. If you check, try to check yourself too early, sometimes it's hard, really hard to, to even reach mm-hmm. or feel. So that was super encouraging. My water hadn't broken at that point. And so as a midwife, knowing that her head was that low and there was just this bit of cervix left, I knew that if my water were to break on its own, it would really help things to move along. Or if they broke my water, it might help. Mm -hmm. So I asked them to break my water, which I wasn't expecting to do. uh, But at that point, I just wanted anything that would help move things along at the end because I was getting tired. And so they did. They broke my water. And within about an hour, I was fully dilated. But I wasn't feeling that overwhelming urge to push that people describe or that we describe as midwives waiting for the natural urge to push, waiting to hear sounds like you're grunting or pooping. So I waited it out, which... Are you still in the tub? No, I was you out of out. the tub, and I was laying on my side with a peanut ball in between my mm-hmm. knees, which really helps with the final rotation and descent of the baby. Even we usually use it if people are have a baby that's malpositioned, like posterior or transverse and not coming down. But for me, it just helped her to 
come down and get rid of just that little last that bit of cervix. Lip. Yeah, peanut ball, for anybody who doesn't know, is sort of like a yoga ball, exercise ball, but it's a little bit more oblong, and it has an indentation in the middle that you can kind of wrap your leg around. Yeah. it looks like a peanut. And like it a looks like peanut. a giant peanut. <laughs> so typically in the hospital, when you're 10 centimeters, I find with my clients that they most people, doctors will encourage you to start pushing. But it was important to me. And even in midwifery, we sometimes a mom is ready to push at 10 centimeters, and sometimes we wait for that like primal urge to push. Mm-hmm. So I got to 10 centimeters and then waited to labor down. And it took about an hour before I basically turned to my doula and said, get the stool, I'm ready to push. So it was a very kind of like lucid moment that I remember, as opposed to the sort of ethereal, otherworldly experience of the labor. So my midwife grabbed the squatty potty from my bathroom. (laughs) And we set up a squatting, basically birthing stool in my bedroom and I squatted while sitting on the squatty potty with my doula with her arms behind me holding me up. She was your stool. Yeah, exactly. So I leaned back on her. She held me up and my husband Ben was sitting in front of me ready to catch her. And as soon as I started pushing, she started to crown really quickly. Mm. So I think I attribute that to waiting to push. Oh, yeah. Instead of pushing just because you were 10 centimeters. Yeah, exactly. So until she had come down and pushing was definitely an unconscious feeling. Like I didn't even try to push. My body just pushed for me. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I found it. That was the most surprising thing I think from labor is you don't really feel the urge to push. The urge to push just happens to you. At least it did for me. And so I pushed and I pushed and she she came rocked up and back a few times. Meaning you could see your head or feel it start coming out and then it would come back inside. Right, right. Rocking under the pubic bone. Mm -hmm. And then she crowned and stayed there for a few minutes and was pushing and pushing and pushing. And her head was just kind of staying there, which usually, you know, it comes quite quickly in the end, but her head was coming really slow. So she kind of was birthed to the eyebrows and then to the eyes and then to the nose. And when she was halfway out, I was like, I think I need to stand. So I stood and then... Can I just before you... It's very fascinating, but is I'm just curious. Is there coaching while you're pushing? No. Or it's just you going with what your body is? There was no coaching and there was n- the whole labor. I was very... <laughs> clear and assertive and demanding about what I wanted and what I didn't want. Um, So I kind of just bossed everyone around and it worked for us because, you know, I was surrounded by all of my best friends and midwives. So they knew what I wanted and what I didn't want. And they, I felt so comfortable around them that I could just be myself and tell them what I wanted or what I didn't want. That's ideal. Exactly. And you didn't want coaching. It's not that I didn't, but I didn't need it. Everything was just kind of flowing intuitively, and I was very aware of everything that was going on. So when you felt your body pushing, you just went with it? When you were done, you stopped? You didn't really? Exactly. So when I was having a contraction, I would push, and then in between, I would rest. Mm -hmm. And then 
at a certain point, I felt like I needed to stand. So I stood and then I started lunging on a stool. And as I'm still trying to birth her head, and we try a bunch of different birthing positions. At this point, it's not clear to me quite yet what's going on, but I think it's becoming more clear to the midwives that she was not small. Oh. And that she was most likely presenting with what's called a shoulder dystocia, mm-hmm. which is an considered an obstetric emergency where the baby's anterior shoulder is stuck on the pubic bone. Mm-hmm. And it's not able to birth without usually some kind of assistance or changing positions, changing the shape of the pelvis like I was doing. Mm-hmm. Naturally by, on your own. Right. By, by squatting. By getting up and lunging. Exactly. Squatting, standing, You didn't even know the shoulder was stuck. You just, you felt in your body, I need to move positions. Yeah, exactly. So after her head was out for about a minute, the midwives had to go in with their hand and actually release her shoulder from under my over my pubic bone. Wow. So Did you know that that's what they were doing? Yeah. Was it painful? I don't remember it being any more painful than what was already going what on. What was already mm-hmm. going on? Was it scary for you? It wasn't scary for me in that moment because I think I had a lot of adrenaline and I also I trusted that she was going to be okay. Have you, as a midwife, been uh, in your midwife experience, your training along the way, Have had you been to dystocias before? That was my first Yours was dystocia. your first shoulder dystocia. Okay. Yeah. So I w- when I was pushing, I had a mirror down below me so I could see oh. her crowning. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it or notice it. But looking back at photos and from what the midwives told me, that her scalp was white. Mm-hmm. So when the scalp is white, that means that oxygenated blood is not perfusing. A pink scalp or a purple scalp or a blue scalp is more ideal mm-hmm. than white. Because you see blood flowing through Exactly. So her head comes out and she has a cord around the neck, which is not concerning to me at all because I know that she's getting oxygen mm-hmm. through her cord. But then as they release the shoulders, she comes out and she's completely floppy and white with Mm -hmm. no muscle tone and she doesn't take a breath right away and then following her body was a bunch of meconium stained fluid which we didn't see previously because whatever fluid was in the front when they broke my water did not have meconium in it okay so she comes out while i'm standing and they put her under my legs and hand her to they don't really hand her to my husband, but they attempt to. But because she's not breathing, we immediately go to the bed. And she lies, Georgia, on my chest. The scent is still attached. And they immediately start breathing for her, doing rescue breaths or neonatal resuscitation. And so for about three minutes, they are working on her to get her to breathe. She has a heart rate the whole time. She has a good pulse the whole time. Exactly. So they didn't need to do chest compressions. We did call the paramedics Mm -hmm. just in case because she had the solar dystocia and resuscitation and meconium. But the first thing I said when the midwife said to call the paramedics to our assistant was, if she's breathing by the time they get here, I'm not going to let them take her. Okay. So that was really important to me. 
She was still thinking pretty rationally. Yeah. And, we, you know, we're calling her name. We're asking her to come into her body and telling her how happy we are to see her and touching her and trying to stimulate her while the midwife is breathing for her. And I've seen that before. So I was wondering. That didn't scare me. Right. So I've been lucky, but also not lucky to have been to several resuscitations. But as a midwife, the truth is that's the reason why they're there. And it's why we have the training that we have is we're not there for the perfect butter burst, like we call them, that happens super smoothly. And in those bursts, you really don't even need a midwife. But we're there when You're there, for there the are just these in case. complications and just in case. And this is why midwives are so good at what they do is because they're trained for these exact situations. And the way that they're dealt with are so much different than in a hospital setting. We were never separated. Her umbilical cord was kept intact, so her heart rate was fine. And, um, you know, it's just done in a much more conscious way instead of separating mom and baby and not knowing what's going on. So I knew exactly what was going on the entire time. She never left my side. And we were able to send the paramedics away because by about five minutes she was breathing and everything was normal. Wow. You see, I didn't know your birth story until just now. Yeah. It was, you know, definitely an initiation. And I had a lot of fear of like the doula curse or midwife curse of having a really hard birth or not having the birth that you wanted, having to go to the hospital, having to have a C-section. So those were things that I was kind of preparing myself for. Like maybe that's going to be my lesson is I'm not going to get my dream home birth that I've been planning for all these years. And But, you know, we learned a different lesson and I think as a midwife it's like one of the most important lessons I could have learned is to have a complication like this for myself and be able to you know come out the other side and have the support of midwives and be at home and just share my experience with people yeah it's um it's pretty powerful how how come you know I've been to a birth like that as a doula and how come the midwives stay and how they jump into action and do all the things that need to be done to keep the baby oxygenated and and call medics in a timely fashion if they need to um, and transport if they need to. Um, it's kind of amazing to watch it unfold. So um, I'm glad everything worked out really well for you. She's- Me too. And uh, you both look pretty happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back and find out how your post-birth experience was. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. 
It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and we're continuing our chat with new mama, Catalina Clark. So after your uh, little dramatic arrival, how have things been since then? Things have been pretty good. I think I was expecting the early postpartum period to be the most difficult, but we had a really smooth time. I didn't tear. My milk came in right away. That's interesting, too, with the dystocia that you didn't tear and they had to reach in and kind of move the shoulder. Yeah, and she was 10 pounds. Wow. 9, 12, so I'm adding a little bit. But Almost 10 pounds on your duty, 10. essentially. <laughs> yeah. So Was she tall? You're tall. She was 22 inches and 9, 12. So wow. she was a big girl. And I wasn't, we didn't know going in, I didn't have any gross scans or anything like that. So I didn't know quite how big she was. The midwife's hands obviously felt her and knew that she wasn't going to be small. Mm-hmm. But I was also, Did they share that with you? They did in a way that didn't make me fearful that okay. she was going to be too big. Yeah. But we all kind of knew. Okay. <laughs> so then my milk came in right away and she latched and nursed really easily. She never lost any weight either. She mm. just kept growing. She's 17 pounds now and she's 16 weeks. So I think the transition out of the first 40 days was harder than the first 40 days because we stayed at home. We had a postpartum doula. We set a lot of boundaries for our time and space and energy so that I could rest and recover and we could bond. My husband took six weeks off of work to stay home with us. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Which was really amazing so that he was able to have that experience too. I think... The hardest part for us now is sort of reintegrating back into the world Mm -hmm. together and trying to go back to midwifery school, go back to birth, go back to life. How do you do that with a baby? So far, I've been bringing her everywhere I go. Wow. Unfortunately, she doesn't take a bottle, which is another struggle that we've had. You're the source. Yes. So we go everywhere together all the time. And I love it. However, it would be nice at times to get a little break to recharge myself so that I could be there for her and have more energy and just fill up my cup. It it sounds like your physical recovery was pretty good. Yes. I think, you know, it's definitely mental trying to not bounce back, but kind of you know, the expectation of being able to do everything that you did before now just with a baby and thinking, oh, it's so easy. I can just take her everywhere I go and everything's the same. But the truth is I'm not sleeping as much as I was and I'm feeding another person from my body. So it's like my energy source is 
well depleted. Drained. Yeah. Yeah. So it's incredible that you know pregnancy itself is physically challenging, and then birth is such a big physical challenge. And then you, it just seems like you should get a little time to go on vacation, and instead it's that like, would be nice, right? You jump right into the even more challenging, in some ways, part of of the constant need to now manually take care of your baby instead of the autopilot that was happening. Yeah, I did a lot of self-care prenatally, which is something that I'm trying to maintain postpartum. I'm not doing it as often as I was doing it prenatally, but doing things like chiropractic and acupuncture. I'm not even trying to plug you right now. (laughs) Seriously. Um, Doing prenatal, well, not prenatal massage anymore, just (laughs) massage. I'm still in like prenatal brain. Yeah, forever postnatal massage, yoga, being active, those sorts of things, which are harder to do, and I'm not doing them as often, but when I do them, I feel much better. And you bring her with you when you go to those appointments? So far, or I'm able to have somebody come to the house or a friend come with me to the appointment so they can watch her while I go into the appointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we have some moms that come in pairs. Yeah, so asking we're... for support from friends has been really amazing asking for help from people that you wouldn't normally ask for help or accepting help from people who you normally wouldn't accept help from. Mm-hmm. Um, has, in the moments after your birth, once everything was okay with the baby, um, how was the immediate afterbirth care for you? You mean with the midwives? Yeah. It was beautiful. I think it took me a while to sort of have that like aha moment of bonding and love for her was like I was kind of coming down from like a night of getting really high. I don't know how else to explain it. (laughs) Um, But basically after birth, the midwives just leave you alone for the most part. I mean, they were checking in on Georgia and I. Oh, I forgot to mention that I also hemorrhaged. Oops. Mm. So Afterwards. Afterwards. But uh, I mean, was, could could anybody be focused on you <laughs> while they were resuscitating the baby? Yeah, so it kind of happened all at the same time. Um, as soon as she started breathing again, they kind of jumped their focus back to me. And the placenta was getting ready to come, and we thought I was pushing out the placenta. But what I had pushed out was a very large clot, oh, clot? that splattered all over everybody in the walls and everything. So at that point, they gave me a shot of Pitocin, which I didn't want, and I told my midwife I didn't want it, and she kind of looked at me and was just like, Kat, we need to take care of your baby and you at the same time. Please take this Pitocin so that we don't have to worry about you bleeding right now. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of something I did knowing, as a midwife, knowing you want to mitigate your risks when you're dealing with two complications at the same exact time. Mm-hmm. So giving me that shot of Pitocin stopped my bleeding, and then we could just enjoy the postpartum experience. And Did you feel the Pitocin Georgia. having its effect on your uterus? I didn't feel the cramps. I really didn't. But it stopped the bleeding. But it stopped the bleeding, okay. yeah. So in retrospect, was that not as bad as you thought it was going to be? No, and it wasn't bad at all. It was just maybe probably my ego saying I didn't want any <laughs> interventions and my body could do it all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next couple of days, unlike you know the medical model, once you right. go home from the hospital, you're, you're no checkups for six weeks usually. Right. So the midwives stay after birth for about, well, my midwife stayed for about six hours until they made sure that Georgia and I were 
all good. And then they came back. They called me the next day, and we checked in with one another. They came back in three days and then came back in a week. And then we met again around four to six weeks. So we had about three checkups, and I was always in touch with them with any questions or concerns that I had. But we had a pretty easy transition. It just came very intuitively and we didn't have any postpartum complications. Did you not leave the house really for 40 days? Yeah, we didn't leave the house. You're you're supposed to, and I'm saying supposed to in quotes, (laughs) you're supposed to go to the pediatrician after a home birth uh, within the first week. But being a midwife and knowing that I knew that she was growing and that she was thriving, so we waited a couple weeks to go to the pediatrician. You literally didn't leave the nest. Yeah, we didn't. That's pretty cool. Did it seem to go by quickly or slowly? At the time, it felt like it went by slowly, and I was getting a little bit (laughs) stir-crazy. And looking back now, it seems like it went by so fast, and I would like to go back to that time now. Yeah, I would like to also, (laughs) but he's 14 years old now. Yeah. Um, It goes by really fast. Thank you very much for joining me and for being here and for having me play a tiny role in your big journey. It was amazing to work with you. Thank you so much. And thanks for bringing baby Georgia here. And, you know, not a plug, but I think if I hadn't gotten so much chiropractic and massage and yoga and all of the things that I did, I shudder to think how her birth would have gone if my body wasn't in its peak performance state going into labor. I think I got an adjustment on Friday before she delivered. Mm -hmm. So I think even though she was large for my pelvis, if I hadn't gotten all that body work done. Well, so I just wrote an article and did a podcast on, on the function of the pelvis and how uh, a large baby can come through a small pelvis if it's functional. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're going for. I can't think of a better way to end. Right. <laughs> um, except where can we find you online? You can find me on my Instagram at Catalina.Clark. Awesome. And at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We love your feedback and your suggestions. For more pregnancy and parenting media, connect with us on Instagram or Twitter at Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R Berlin, or at informedpregnancy.com. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Balm. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Balm, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. 
Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.